I wish that James Earl Jones were here. I would love to have him read Psalm 19. You read part of it at the beginning, and I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, it's a psalm that declares things. So please follow with me. This is a song. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heaven and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's have a prayer. Father, we ask, we ask that as we look at this psalm of praise, we would be uplifted that we would walk out of here knowing that your glory can be seen, that you have spoken to us, and that we are, have you as a guide and a rock and a redeemer. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, I, I find the book of Psalms very hard to read if you start at Psalm 1 and go to the end of the book. I'm a, I don't get poetry real easily. It's just it's not my thing. And sometimes reading the lyrics of a song time and time again is a little difficult for me. I was talking to Peter before he left, and I said, you know, sometimes reading the Psalms, they're, they're all lamentations. They're all laments. David's talking about what he has done wrong and how he's repentant and how God, how God picks him up and restores him. I said to Peter, I said, if he were writing a country song, it would surely include, my wife left me, the dog died, and the pickup truck broke down. But it always, always comes back to God. It always comes back to the restorative powers of Jesus Christ. Last night, Judy and I went to Madison Square Garden to hear a concert by Chris Tomlin and Matt Redmond and some others. One of the comments Chris Tomlin made was that when he gets to heaven, King David is going to walk up to him and say, you got pretty popular singing songs I wrote. <laughs> this psalm is a song. Most of the songs that were sung last night were celebratory. I think Psalm 19 is very celebratory. It's not a psalm of lament like so many of the others. So when we read this psalm, we don't read it with a, Psst, over here, the heavens, they declare the glory of God. It's pronounced, the heavens declare the glory of God. It is a strong adulation 
It is something that acknowledges God. At the concert last night, I hate to say this, everybody was standing, their hands were held high. They were listening to the music, they were singing along, some were dancing with it. And I, occasionally I had to sit down, you know, old guy, I'm not going to stand through a whole concert. I sat down and I noticed a guy, four seats over in, a, in another section in a row in front of us, and he was sitting pretty much through the whole concert. And I, I, I touched Judy and I said, hey, Judy, look. She said, what? I said, another Presbyterian. We hope we can rejoice in this psalm. We want, we want to know what's going on. So let's look at this. And we're going to start. Our outline today is going to be the conclusion. God's revelation of himself in creation is visible. God's revelation of himself in scripture is complete. And God works in us. And then we're going to go back to the conclusion. The question could be asked, how many people start with a conclusion? Well... Today I'm going to. It's not necessary. I wouldn't recommend it for everybody. But this psalm, beyond any shadow, without question, refers to my rock and my redeemer. This psalm, this cry of what creation does, this cry of what scripture does, points to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. There is no mistaking it. The drive of David here is to point to and have faith in and trust in my rock, my redeemer. Now, in the beginning, excuse me, let's see how we get there. First and foremost in this psalm is are the heavens are declaring something. The heavens are doing it. There's a, 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 non a nonverbal communication. We don't talk to the heavens. What does it say? It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. That means that it's unmistakable. It is untiring. And as creation reveals about God, it is understandable. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. You cannot avoid seeing God in creation because creation time and time again declares the glory of God. And what does this creation show us if it does these things? First, it shows us there's an order. This is not some sort of haphazard, random event. It talks in the psalm about the sun coming up and going from side to side day after day. There's a plan. There's a beauty revealed in creation. There's also a creator, and it wit this creation witnesses it. Witnesses to God that he is there. The heavens declare. Now, why do we say there's a beauty? What, what is that pointing out to us? Do we have... Uh, <clears throat> no, some people are away on vacation. Where do they go? Some go to visit their family. Maybe not so beautiful. A lot of people go to the shore... A lot of people go to the mountains. Some people go to the Grand Canyon. Now, by the way, last week we had two new families in church, uh, one from uh, Kentucky and one from Florida. And uh, just as a sidelight, this is a, a throw-in for the message. For you folks from the South, I guess that would include Josh, too. When you go to the, when you go to the ocean in New Jersey, 
Be New Jersey about it. You go down the shore. You do not go to the beach. So when we talk of creation, you go down the shore and you see the waves, you see the ocean, you see creation. Nobody goes to the Grand Canyon to have a bowl of soup. Why do they go to the Grand Canyon? They go to the Grand Canyon because it shows majesty, magnificence. It declares something. Time and again, we sing about creation. America the beautiful, let me quote a verse. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves the grain, for purple mountains majesty above the fruited plain. That's creation. We sang, we all bow down. Can I have that slide, please? Can I have that slide? Thank you. Summer and winter, mountains and rivers. I'll, I'll question the word whisper. It doesn't whisper. It declares the Savior's name in 10,000 reasons. Could you bring that slide up, please? The sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Creation. The sun comes up. It's a reminder that God exists. In Isaiah 65:1, we read, I revealed myself to those who did not ask. God revealing himself without provocation from people, saying, I'm here. This is creation. In Romans 1.20, we read, The heavens declare, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Why? So that man is without excuse. Now, the Bible never proves God in my mind. It assumes God. Christ points to it, to God. Christ claims to be God, but it never proves God. It assumes God. So the message that we have from creation is somewhat incomplete. It's nonverbal. It's enough information so that men will be without excuse. Psalm 19 says it goes to the ends of the earth. No language can, can fail to understand it. This, this uh, what we'll call nonverbal communication, is something we all do. You know, uh, my wife is, is uh, perhaps my biggest critic. There might be others that rank up there. Um, but, you know, she'll be sitting and... and, and Sometimes, you know, I, I was doing a wedding ceremony once. I was about five minutes into the ceremony, in my mind, and she's going like this. That's nonverbal communication. It's not complete, but it's nonverbal. I got part of the message. Now, what she really meant to say was, we have dinner reservations at 6.30, and you've got to end this service up so we can get it. You can't do all that nonverbally. No, we really didn't. I usually stay for throughout the whole wedding service, especially if I'm performing it. But uh, the fact of the matter is nonverbal communication only gets you so far. So what did God give us that's in addition to that? He gave us verbal communication. I, I'd like to say one other thing, too. Uh, two other things. So that men are without excuse. Let's think about that for a minute. We know Christ. And we know what creation is saying. 
There are others who will take creation and draw the wrong conclusion from it because they're sinful, because they're sinners and without God. They might go so far as to say creation is God. It's Mother Nature. They misunderstand the message that is there. Granted, because it's nonverbal. But they, they don't get it right. The problem with nonverbal communication is it's never complete enough to give you the whole message. Now, having said all that, and having said that God is assumed in Scripture, one of the sidelights of this message is that that's called a doctrine. And a doctrine, a doctrine is something that you stake your life on, something you believe. There are people who will look at creation and they'll say, it's Big Bang Theory. They'll say, it's a random act. It just happened to be that way. There's going to be something that evolves that's greater than man if we hang around long enough. That's their doctrine. They can't prove that. But it's their doctrine. And if that's what they choose to stake their lives on, that is their choice. I, my doctrine is that God exists and the heavens declare it. The sun comes up every day in the east. You know, day after day. So I, I want you to be clear on this understanding of what doctrine is here. Nature proclaims God. It does not prove him. It proclaims him. Man is without excuse, according to Romans. Now, let's go to what direct revelation is then. If that's silent, general revelation, what is the perfect word of, of uh, Psalm 19, verse 7? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. Well, first, the direct revelation of Scripture completes our knowledge. It challenge, in, verse, in Psalm 19, as we'll see, it challenges us, it cheers us, and it changes us. The law here, as used in this verse, is not the Ten Commandments. It is not, you know, the book of Leviticus. The law here is what you meditate on. In Psalm 1, it talks about, I meditate on the law day and night. Christ says, I come to fulfill the law. It's not just the Ten Commandments. It's all the laws. It's a, it's a, it, when Christ was confronted by people who challenged him, he always answered with, it is written, as the law says. Is it not written? For it is said. For it says. Christ always meditates on all of Scripture. All of Scripture. And can answer his questions from Scripture. That's what we meditate on here. In, in uh, Psalm 2, where it says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates both day and night. This, the fact of the matter is, we find, if we meditate on it properly, we find delight in the law. We read in Psalm 19 that it's, it's sweeter than honey. Now, I'll just ask you flat out. When you read the scripture, when you pray, when you meditate on the Bible, is it sweeter than honey to you? Is it more precious than gold? 
Does it have that effect? Do you concentrate on the word so much? And I'm, I'm talking to myself as well as anyone else. I don't want you to think that I've got a, I've got a key to this, a success. I don't. But I do want you to know that if we do this with a proper heart, the taste of honey will not be as good as the reading of Scripture. And you have to ask yourself, am I worshiping God when I meditate on Him? Am I worshiping God when I pray to Him? If we could, could you just uh, go to the next slide, please? Let's see what the law does for us. We've got six things here. I'm going to just read them off quickly. I gave Lonvi, uh, she puts together these slides, and I gave Lonvi a, a, this is what I'd like on the slide, and this is what she came up with. She did so much better than I was doing with my PowerPoint. But let's look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, okay? The word is the law. The character of the law is it's perfect. The results of, uh, of the law it restores, it revives, and what does it do, it on The soul. What else does the law, law do? The statutes of the law are trustworthy. They grant wisdom. It says in the New International, I think, simple, uh, simple folks. It's plain folks. You know, David was no dummy. And he used the law to, he used the scripture to revive him, to get better understanding. The law, as portrayed in this psalm, gives wisdom for everyone, and it's trustworthy. The, command, the precepts of the law are right, brings joy to the heart. The commands are pure. They give insight to the eyes. There's fear and respect. It's clean. The law is clean. It's enduring. It affects the mind. There's fair and just judgment. It warns us and guides us. It affects our will. These are the effects of meditating on the scripture day and night. You can ask yourself very simply, am I affected? Am I affected by this? Do I know? Do I really, really ask God to guide me and help me? And if we do, if we do, what is the result? The result is pretty simple. Let me read the last, uh, the last three verses. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. They, will not, they may not rule over me. That I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. The word of God helps us discern errors in our own lives. The one part I, I, you know, I have trouble, forgives my hidden faults. I know I've got faults, and I try to correct them, and I try to seek God's forgiveness. But on top of the ones I know about, I have hidden faults too. I have ones I don't even know about. The answer to that is yes, you do. You know, they may not be hidden to others. That's sort of scary. You know, let's just say pride. You don't know you're being prideful. Is that a hidden fault? Well, if you don't know you're doing it, it's hidden from you. What does God say about this? I don't look on the outward appearance. I look on the heart. He looks at our hidden faults. He looks at the things we don't even know about. 
Keeps your servant from willful sins. Oh, now there's a challenge. What's a willful sin? How do we know when we're committing a willful sin? I almost want to show, ask for a show of hands on this and say, can you tell me? Can you tell me when I, you're doing a willful sin? I'll give you a, just a sort of a hint for what a willful sin would be. A willful sin would be whenever you think you're going to do something, you're not certain about it, and you say to the Lord who's traveling with, me, with you, you wait in the car, I'm going inside now. That's a bad sign. That is probably, I can almost guarantee that that's going to be a willful sin. Anytime you say, Lord, wait outside, that's a willful sin. Don't let those sins rule over you. How many times do we seek forgiveness for the same sin? Frequently. That's because we let willful sins rule over us. But what goes on from there? We become blameless. God helps us. We can become blameless, innocent of great transgressions. We have to look back on Jesus Christ. David looked forward to the Savior. We know that Christ forgives sins. We don't have to offer sacrifices. We have to seek forgiveness. We have to ask, Lord, help us discern our errors. Lord, keep me from a willful sin. Lord, don't let sins rule over me because I want to be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Is that our prayer? How, you know, again, how many people, and I have to, in fact, I work here, so it's even harder for me to say this. How can I get around doing some things that I know I should do right? How can I cut back on an effort? Don't we think that way sometimes? Rather than set the bar high, let's set the bar low. It's a willful sin. But what's going on through all this? What is, point, what is this pointing to? Well, first off, we have creation communicating to us. There's no question about that. We have the law, scripture, talking to us. And it is a sweet honey. It is more precious than gold. Sins are pointed out to us. We can seek forgiveness. We know that we can become innocent. We know that our, the words of our mouths and the meditation of our heart can be pleasing in God's sight. The question is, why is this? Is it because of what we're doing? What was the opening conclusion? This points to Jesus Christ. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20, there's a, Christ is talking to his disciples, and it's a, he asks, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. How does Christ respond? He says, on this rock, I will build my church. That's the rock David's talking about. In Galatians 3, he is simply, it is simply stated, he, Jesus, redeemed us. He is our redeemer. What is Psalm, what is Psalm 19 saying to us? What are we hoping to, to learn from this today? We're hoping to learn that there's a beauty and order in creation that comes from the creation's hand, the creator's hand, from God the Father. 
we are hoping to learn that Christ, God spoke to us, that he spoke to us through his law, through scripture. We're hoping to learn that we can be pleasing in God's sight, but we must search our own hearts for sin. And all of this can be accomplished only because of the work of Jesus Christ. In a moment, Paola and Hugh will be singing, oh, Paola will be singing, uh, sorry, thy word, thank you, thy word will be a lamp unto my feet, I asked for it and I can't even think of it, thy word will be a lamp unto my feet. Um, I would hope that you would think about that. Is God's word a lamp unto your feet? When you sit outside tonight and you look up and you see the stars, is it proclaiming God to you? Is it helping you? That's why it's there. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you very much for sending your, your Son to save us. We pray, Lord, that as we sit here, we would worship you in spirit and truth. That the creation that you have made would reveal more and more about you, that the scripture that you have breathed would tell us how we are loved by you, and we would bow down before you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.